Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Well, we are in a series called Amazing Encounters, and uh, if you've been here, uh, week one we talked about an encounter in the temple where Jesus, as a 12-year-old young man, um, started to live out his uh, life that God had called him to. And then the next week, uh, we uh, encounter Jesus just a few years later as he's beginning his ministry, and he... Uh, meets John the Baptist at the river, and uh, then last week uh, we started the, the week off uh, with um, Jesus finding out about John the Baptist's death, and then he ended up feeding the 5,000, he healed the sick, all that were brought to him, and then before uh, the next morning the sun rose, he had an encounter with Peter on the water. Well, this week we're moving forward in time and we are going to have an encounter with Jesus that you're going to get to learn about. And this was the encounter at the tomb. So if you would turn to John chapter 20, and I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse 1. And it says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And let me just share with you, if we didn't have the word of God, if we didn't have the God-inspired words in the book of John to tell us that the tomb was empty, I'm here to share something with you that history has documented outside of the scriptures Four very important things. And number one is this, that Jesus was buried. Outside of using any of the documents that was used to create the scripture, we can go back and we'll find that Jewish historians have documented over and over again that there was a man named Jesus who lived in the first century and that he was killed on a cross and that he was buried. There's, there's no disputing that. And the second thing that history tells us itself is that that tomb, three days later, was empty. All right, this outside of Scripture, history, the, the documents. Matter of fact, the last people that you would think that would talk about Jesus' tomb being empty would be the Jewish people. But yet it is the Jewish historians that show us that three days later there was an uproar and that Jesus' tomb was empty. And not only that, but there were documents that showed that people saw Jesus after he had risen from the dead. Outside of scripture, history documents. And the last thing is that the origin of the disciples' beliefs were as a result of the empty tomb. You know, so today, that's what I want to talk to you about, the resurrection. 
And as we see, uh, Mary here has just stumbled upon the tomb. What time of day did she go? She went while it was still dark. Now, this time of year uh, in Israel, um, it would have come, daylight would have happened about 6 a.m. And so you can imagine this was probably a 15 or 20 minute walk for her to get to the tomb. And so she was, probably did not sleep at all. And she's up as, as early as she possibly could. And she goes to the tomb. She discovers that it's empty. In verse 3, she goes to uh, Peter. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now what's interesting is the guy who was the other disciple was the author of this book, John. And John never referred to himself uh, like that. He always talked about the other disciple, or my favorite was the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, if I was writing the book, I would do that too. But uh, uh, we know that this is the inspired word of God. And not only did Jesus love John, but you know what? He loved all of the disciples. In fact, I can tell you that he loves everyone here in this room today. So both of them, verse 4, were running together. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter, huffing and puffing, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, whom had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And what I want you to understand here is that the disciples were as surprised by everybody else that the tomb was empty and that Jesus' body was not there. Now understand, they walked with Jesus for the last three years. They were part of his ministry, but they were surprised. Matter of fact, it's John who was the first of the disciples to believe. And he believed the moment that he looked in and he saw the body was gone. Now, I wish that we all were like John and, and had that moment of clarity and was one of the early adopters. But what you'll find out is that's just not the case. Matter of fact, I was surprised when I was in Bible college to find out that there were scholars Men who had been trained in theology years upon years, who had plaques on their walls, their scholars to this day who aren't sure if Jesus really rose from the dead. And so uh, what you'll find out is we call these critical scholars. Now, it, it shouldn't surprise us. Back in Jesus' day, there was a group called the Sadducees, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. And there are people who call themselves Christians who today wonder if it really happened. But here's what's interesting. Even the critical scholars, even the scholars who, who will tell you oh, they believe everything about the Bible except that Jesus rose from the dead. Here's what they will acknowledge. They'll acknowledge, number one, that Jesus' tomb was empty. Now, this is very important, folks. 
Because if you don't have an empty tomb, you don't have a risen Savior. And so even the critical scholar who, and and I'll explain why they could say all of this, but yet come to the conclusion we're not sure. The second thing is that they will acknowledge that the disciples had a real experience. What am I talking about a real experience? Who all was at the crucifixion with Jesus? Out of his 12 disciples, how many of them were there? There was one. There was one, the guy who wrote this book, John. The rest had already ran and hid. The rest were scared. The rest were somewhere else. They're humans, just like us. And they didn't know what to think of everything going on because they had just uh, convinced themselves that Jesus' kingdom was about to happen, and they were trying to pick jobs out. Well, I'm going to be the mayor, and and I'm going to, you know, and this time they had what was called tetrarchs, which had one-fourth of the area. And so they were probably thinking which area that they were going to be in charge of when they were having that conversation in the upper room, one that Jesus wasn't very excited about. And the last thing is that the critical scholar will tell us this, that because of what they experienced, these disciples, the ones who ran, who weren't there at the crucifixion, the ones who um, hid, because of what they experienced, it resulted in the creation and the growth of the Christian church. The, the, this is beyond dispute. If we were in a court of law, we could prove this. Matter of fact, there's more evidence for what I've just given you than books that were written 50 years ago. And so what you'll hear is they talk about works of antiquity. And what is encouraging and exciting is that there's more evidence, more of these works of antiquity that we get to experience and confidence that we can have in God's word. So let's continue to read on in verse 11. And it says this, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. All right? So I have never been to Israel, but I want to go to Israel. And I've seen pictures of different, as I understand it, there's a couple different places that claim to be the tomb. But I can tell you this, if I don't have to stoop to get in there, I'm not going to believe that that's the tomb that Jesus was in. Because it said that John had to stoop to look in there. It says that Mary now has to stoop to look in there. And when she looked in there this time, here's what she saw. In verse 12, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now think about what Jesus, or I'm sorry, what Mary has just gone through. She's gotten, didn't get a good night's sleep. She's up very early. She goes to prepare Jesus' body. The tomb is empty. There are no soldiers there anymore. She goes back and finds Peter and John. They run there. She finally catches up to them, and they've already left and gone back home. And now she's beside herself. She's crying, and she looks in there again, and she sees two men. And these two men uh, tell her that he's not here. Well, she could figure that out. And, And here's what's one of the evidences that we have to know that our Bible is true, is that they would never use a woman as an eyewitness. Now, ladies, don't, don't be offended by that. That was the culture back then. They would never take a woman's word as a testimony. They wouldn't use it in a court of law, and they certainly wouldn't use it in historical documents. Yet, who is the first 
documented person to see that the tomb was empty. A woman. And not just a woman, but a woman named Mary Magdalene. And if you know anything about the New Testament, you'll know that Mary Magdalene was not a very good woman at one point in her life. She was a prostitute. She was a prostitute that encountered Jesus. And after her encounter with Jesus, things changed. Amen? Her chains were gone. And so let's see what else happens in verse 14. Because not only does Mary encounter the angels and have a conversation with the angels, but in verse 14 it says, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now this is a question that a skeptic or even somebody who, how in the world does she not recognize that it's Jesus? And the answer is very clear. She's been crying. And not only has she been crying, but her, she's probably still in the midst of her crying. And they didn't have Kleenex back then. And so her, the water's coming down, and she can probably barely see. And she sees somebody. In verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. Away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Oh, does that give you chills? One day. If you are a Christ follower, one day, Jesus is going to call your name out. And he said, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. See, when she couldn't recognize him through her tears, and she didn't recognize him when he was talking, but when he called her name, oh, she knew. You know, I've heard that, um, that the sheep understood the voice of the shepherd. Now, I, I, I accepted this. But I learned it on a whole new level when a few years ago I was in West Virginia and a friend of mine had some sheep. And so uh, I found it interesting that the sheep were out there. And uh, so I used his call. He had a certain way he called them and they'd come running up to the gate. And so I used that. And what was interesting was they were um, bad. I guess they wanted to eat. And so I used his words to call and I made it sound just like him. But here's all I got in response from the sheep. They went from like chattering with each other and they just stopped. I mean, it got quiet. And they're just like looking at me like I'm an idiot. And so I tried it again and they just looked at me like I was an idiot. My friend's sitting there right beside me. And then finally he calls them and then they come running. And I could only imagine what they were thinking. Like, who's the wise guy beside you? Well, that's the same thing that happened to Mary. She knew it was Jesus when he called. And Jesus said to her, Mary, uh, she calls him a teacher. In verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Folks, I want to share with you something. 
And that's this, that we can be excited as believers in 2019 in the city of Centralia because the resurrection happened. The tomb was empty, and today Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And here's why we should be excited. Because the resurrection proves a few things, and the first thing that it proved was that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. Jesus made some very bold claims, and the first claim was that he is the Son of God. If anyone ever tells you that Jesus didn't claim to be the Son of God, uh, you, you may want to correct them. Because in John chapter 5 and verse 18, he said that he was equal with God. Later on in John chapter 8 and verse 58, he identified himself as the I Am, Jehovah. This is why the Jewish people were after him, why the religious leaders didn't want to tolerate Jesus. Because he was claiming to be God. In John chapter 10, he says that I and the Father are one. And then in John chapter 14, he says, I am in the Father, just as you are in me. See, Jesus absolutely claimed to be the Son of God. And it is because of that, and it's because of the resurrection, we can know that he was. And it's because of the resurrection that we can realize that God sent his son to become a man. And he lived from in the womb of his mother, through birth, grew up through adolescence. And then in his 30s, he started his ministry. That's what we know about Jesus. That's what the scripture tells us. And that's what Jesus said about himself. He was fully God and fully man. Something that's hard to understand. But if he is fully God and fully man, we must agree with this. That the resurrection proves that the Bible is true. You see, the, the, the entire point of the Bible is that Jesus Christ was resurrected. You know, uh, in my hand, I hold not one book, but I hold 66 books. These 66 books were written by 40 different men. Now, in fact, it was written by 40 different men over a span of 1,500 years. And not only was it written over a span of 1,500 years, but it was written in three different languages. And not only was it written in three different languages, it was written on three different continents. But this 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years on three, in three different languages on three different continents has one message. It has one theme. It has one story. And that is that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, so surely by the numbers, by the fact that the resurrection happened, we can have confidence and we can have confidence that there are no contradictions. There are no historical contradictions in this Bible. And you know what? There are no historical errors either. And what happens when, you know, have you ever had somebody who tells you that there's plenty of errors in the Bible? Matter of fact, you say, show me one, and it's full of them. Well, just give me one of them, and let's talk about it. They're not going to come back to you. Now, you can go on Google or Wikipedia, and there's somebody who thinks they're smarter than God, and then they, they tell us what, what's wrong with the Scripture. But here's what we know, that through the works of antiquity, that this Bible has stood true. 
that with confidence, I, I, I believe that this book who's, that's almost 2,000 years old is much more accurate than the newspapers that you'll go and buy on a, this morning. Well, if Jesus is fully God and fully man and the Bible must be true, I can also tell you that the resurrection proves that Christianity is from God. You know, we don't have Christianity because of the Bible. Don't ever get that. See, the Bible didn't give us Christianity. Christianity gave us the Bible. This book was written after the fact of what has happened. And so don't, for one moment, let yourselves think that um, we're just following this book blindly. This book was written by the men and women who witnessed that Jesus was the Son of God, who witnessed that his body was not in the tomb, who witnessed and had meals with him after that. And the problem is that you're going to find out that there's a lot of different religions out there, and Really, when it comes to religion, religion is nothing more than man's attempt to reach God. You know, that's, that's happened a couple times. Have you ever heard of the Tower of Babel? Man's attempt to reach God. Religion is just one more form of man's attempt to reach God. And, and not only does the um, religion try to help man reach God, but the reality is this, that God used Jesus Christ as his attempt to reach us. And if that's the case, I can tell you this, that Christianity is a result of an event, not because of a religion. If you turn, if you, if you, let me just read to you John 14, verse 6, and it says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. These are the words of Jesus. You know, we live in a time where many people want us to accept other religions. And come visit us this summer and you're going to find out that that is going to play a lot into the end times. And where they are going to try to cross lines with different religions. But the one thing that they will never ever admit to, and that is that Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. They'll accept every other way except for the way that created Christianity. Well, if all this is true, if Christianity is um, from God, I'm here to tell you that another startling fact, and that is this, that God will judge the world. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed for man once to die and after this, the judgment. And a couple of things about God's judgment that you need to be aware of. And it's this, that God's judgment is of the highest and the purest form. Now you all know that you don't have to go very far. And we could just go over to St. Louis and I promise you that there are things that go before a court of law where somebody gets convicted of a crime that they didn't commit. Or somebody gets let off of a crime that they did commit. But I'm here to tell you that when God's judgment happens, that won't be the case. He's not going to make a mistake. And not only that, but God's judgment points us to where we should go. See, if you follow the steps that lead to God's judgment, here's what he says. In Romans 3.10, he said this, There is none righteous, no, not one. 
You know, that's why we can sing Amazing Grace, because we realize that we weren't righteous. And if we continue down uh, Romans, in Romans 3.23, it says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if none are righteous and all have sinned, you'll find out in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. See, that's the judgment that's coming one day to all of us. And so Romans 6.23 tells us that, and what's amazing is in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, that's, if we preach nothing else in this church, we have to preach the resurrection. Because not only does the resurrection prove that Jesus is fully God and fully man, not only does it prove that the Bible is true, not only does the resurrection prove that Christianity is from God, and that God will one day judge a world, the resurrection proves that one day there is hope for all of us. There is a possibility. We don't have to experience that judgment. Why? Because the Son of God came to this earth in the form of a man, lived a perfect life. See, that's what we're supposed to all have done, is lived a perfect life. But Romans 3.10 says, there's none righteous. No, not one. And then it tells us that the wages of sin is death. So are we stuck? Is that the only way to go? Well, you know the answer to that. Of course not. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, 19, Paul says this. And if Christ has not been raised, then our teaching, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. But it doesn't stop there. If you look in verse 17, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And then he says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. You know, I've heard the, the argument that, well, you know, what if I'm wrong? What if this Bible isn't true? What if? You know, living a good life, when we get to the end, it's going to have been worth it. At least we, we uh, added something to society. But I'm here to tell you that that is not a position that any of us need to take. The position that we need to take is that the resurrection happened. History tells us this. Critical scholars admit that something happened. The reason why they don't want to admit that the resurrection happened is because they refuse to accept that miracles happened. But I don't know about you, but if I just start in Genesis 1-1, I saw a miracle. I mean, if the creator of the world and just his words can create all that exists, I'd call that a miracle. And, and if that same creator decides to suspend those laws and rules, um, I think he's allowed to do that. And, and if you ever want to take anything up, uh, go create your own universe and make your own laws and rules. And then you can do that. But until that happens, guess whose rules we follow? We follow God's. So what is the hope? Well, hope is very simple. That we don't have to experience God's judgment. Let me read what Jesus said in John 17, verses 1 through 3. And he's having a prayer here. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven 
and said, Father, the hour has come to glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and listen to this in verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Oh, you know, it's because of the resurrection that we have this hope, that our faith is not in vain. It's because of the resurrection that we know that this is the word of God. It's because of the resurrection. You know, it's because of the resurrection that whatever problems you're facing this week, as bad as they are, as tough as the situation is, as dire as it seems to be, you have a hope that one day you will have an eternal life in heaven with your creator. And I I promise you this, there will not be one moment when you're living in eternity, that you will experience a thought. And you know what? I really don't understand why back in June of 2019 that nobody liked me. You'll never experience that in heaven. Here's what you will experience. That one day, every one of us who believe, who call ourselves a Christ follower, who have accepted the words of Romans 10, 9, and 10, that we've confessed with our mouth and we believed in our heart. One day, every one of us will have a glorified body and soul. That is going to happen. But the question that we all have to answer is this. What do we do with that? You know, because 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four says this. That when this corruptible, this body, shall have put on incorruption... And this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that has been written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You know, there is coming a day that the creator of this world, this universe, everything that we know or think we know is going to take it and he's going to allow death to be swallowed up in victory. And there will be no more death. Now, folks, I just want to tell you that's a long ways away. There's still a thousand years that Jesus is going to reign on this earth before that happens. But the likelihood is that none of us are going to live a thousand years. The likelihood is that instead we're going to experience what Paul said and that everyone will face death. And the Bible has made it very clear. We've got two choices to make. Either we can be born twice or we will die twice. See, here's how we're born twice. We're born once through the water, which is in a hospital, or some of you may be in a cabin. And then the second is through the Spirit, is by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's so simple. But if, if you don't experience that second birth, one day this body, this, immor- this mortality is going to pass. The heart's going to stop beating. The blood's going to stop flowing. And your soul is going to separate from this body. And one day, you will stand in judgment. And remember what I said? That God's judgment is perfect. See, he's not going to hold anything against you that you didn't do. He's not going to hold it. He's not going to create sins. He's not going to make you look worse than you were. But if you, while you're here on earth, you don't accept 
what Jesus Christ did. You'll stand before God Almighty all by yourself. And then one day you will pay for those sins. And the way that we pay for those sins is the death. We'll, those people will be cast into the lake of fire and they will be tormented for eternity. Now I know hell is not a popular topic to talk about, but folks, what kind of friend would I be if I didn't share with you the reality? What kind of friend would I be if I told you that there was another, or wouldn't tell you about another way? And let me ask you this. If you claim the name of Jesus, what kind of friend are we if we aren't sharing this with our friends? You know, the sad reality is that if we go to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17, and here's what's happened. Jesus is now seeing his disciples one last time in Galilee. He's there. He's having a meal with them. And here's what Matthew said. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But maybe the saddest second part of a verse I've ever read, but some doubted. These were his disciples. These were the ones who had spent three years with him, who had watched him heal, who had watched him feed to 5,000, who had watched him do the works. And now they have experienced him multiple times, seeing him risen from the dead seeing his empty tomb, seeing all of this, but some doubted. I'd be kidding myself if I believed that there wasn't somebody in this room today that follows that verse, and you still doubt. I'm here to share with you, you don't have to. You don't have to leave this building today with any doubts. You just have to follow the words of Romans 10, 9 through 10. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You know, as the Christian church began to grow, they developed a thing which is called the Apostles' Creed. And in this Apostles' Creed, they basically stated, this is what I believe. And so today, as a time of invitation, uh, I just want you to remain seated and we're about to play a, a video of the Apostles' Creed. I want you to watch the words. And I want you to ponder them just like Mary pondered what had happened when Jesus was in the temple. Are you at a place where you still doubt, where you, you don't quite believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he died for your sins? If so, I'm going to be up here while this is playing. Come, talk to me. If you don't have that boldness, if I were you, I would fill out one of those prayer cards and at the bottom, it has a little block committing to Christ. Put a check mark there and come talk to me after the service. This is what the early church fathers, this is how they would state their case. See, we can come and, and we state our case by we believe that every word of God is true. Well, they didn't have that quite yet as they started developing. And so this is what they say, if you would play the video.
As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.